2: Bring in show music, please.
0: This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. I'm producer Cameron Costa, and on today's podcast, Bitcoin's rally. What's driving the run-up with crypto investor Anthony Pavliano?
1: So when an asset goes up 150%, you would expect people to sell into the strength, kind of take profits. That's not happening. And so Bitcoiners are not selling that Bitcoin. They're not going to sell it to Wall Street. And so Wall Street's going to have to continue to bid up the price.
0: Take-Two Interactive stock is tumbling after Grand Theft Auto trailer was leaked. It looks like an actual movie
3: versus a video game.
0: Concerns are rising over China's debt levels, and CVS is changing up its drug pricing.
4: I'm still trying to figure out how formularies work in the first place.
0: Plus, in our polarizing political climate, I'm using unhappiness. Professor, author, and fellow podcaster Arthur Brooks.
2: People are substituting their citizenship in their communities for watching political news shows as a result of that, and that's really lowered our happiness a lot.
0: It's Tuesday, December 5th, 2023, and Squawk Pod begins right now.
2: Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue, please.
0: Good
3: morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin.
5: New this morning, Moody's cutting China's credit outlook from stable to negative and reaffirming its long-term A1 rating on concerns that the country's uh, level of debt, uh, over concerns, I should say, the, the debt level there. Moody's citing China's over-reliance of fiscal stimulus, increasing borrowing to bolster the economy and deepening a property crisis as reasons for the downgrade. And of course, this is going to send ripples around the world. It also has an impact on the larger conversation about where you think China is relative to Taiwan. We talked to the president uh, at Dealbook last week of Taiwan about the prospect of a takeover, and she said that she felt that given where they were economically right now, meaning the challenges that China was facing, that they were less likely to try to invade. Uh, Taiwan. So we'll see. People ask where back that... and
3: forth, if you're, if you have economic woes, sometimes you try and yes. point things in a different direction. Um, right. So I've heard both that's, analyses. That's,
5: there's, there's two sides to that uh, coin or sword or whatever phrase you want to use, two edges to the,
4: yeah. So it's Grand Theft Auto 6? Is that? I don't know. I think it's 6. That was my first question, but uh, we're watching shares of Take Two Interactive, the video Uh, Game publisher stock fell fell as much as 4% after hours. It had planned to launch the trailer for its new Grand Theft Auto game early this morning, but uh, released it last night instead after the trailer leaked early on X. Uh, The last version of the game debuted way back in 2013, and that one is now the second best-selling video game in history uh, behind only Minecraft. And this one wasn't due... Isn't due till two thousand twenty-five, and I think it's six. So,
3: uh, I was just looking at the graphic, the video graphics on this. Mm. Man, it has changed a lot in the ten years. Must since be the better last chips. Yeah, it, yeah, this graphics is much chips. more video, realistic and looks like an actual movie versus the video game.
4: Are the? Um, I mean, I've never played it, but it. it are the protagonists the people stealing the cars, or, or are you catching the people stealing the cars? I don't know. I've cars? never
3: played it either. My cousins showed me way back when. You had some
4: good anecdotes of what what you got yeah, to there's some do. There's pretty terrible ladies things. Ladies of could the do. night involved. Yeah, and, there's uh, some
3: pretty terrible things. And, I, and I, I, again, I haven't seen this since way back in the beginning when my cousins were playing, and I was a little shocked. They were young at the time, but some of the things you can do in terms of how you get your your health lineup, and then how you can keep the money that you've made along the way.
4: Interesting. Yeah, the the, the people look real now. They I do. I say it's, that that's
3: different than than what it was ten years ago.
5: Meantime, uh, cbs Health planning to overhaul the way it prices prescription drugs, shifting away from complex formulas to a. Simpler model based on the amount that CBS paid for the drugs. That's according to a new article uh, that's worth reading this morning in the Wall Street Journal. It says that the move will be phased in starting in the first half of next year. For consumers, some drugs may cost less, though some may also cost more. CBS executives telling the journal that more drugs should uh, show price decreases than increases. CBS is holding an investor day this morning, so we're going to probably learn a lot more about how this entire process will work. After that, CEO Karen Lynch will speak to CNBC in an exclusive interview.
4: I'm still trying to figure out how formularies worked in the first place. I, the, the new one sound, the new method sounds.
3: Well, I think it's probably reasonable because the, when insurance gets involved, it depends on who your insurance company is, what the pharmacy benefit managers do on some of these things. It's pretty all a
4: middleman stuff. But yeah. you heard what they're going to. Just, We're actually going to base what we sell it for Based for what, what it costs, costs us. us, which <laughs> it's seems, a novel yeah, idea. Yeah, but I'm just but that could be complex too. But this one. I think is is really opaque the way formularies yeah. work.
3: Yeah, completely. I, I, this is this is the problem with medical costs in general, not just for medications, yeah. also yeah. for any people, procedures you ever do. If you get an X-ray, if you go through, it, it's a different price depending on where you go for any. Is
4: there a better business than? And you don't find out until a better business than trying to bill Medicare. I mean, I even see how doctors somehow can can do things. There's there's certain things that are very lucrative. That you know you're going to get paid for because it's covered by medicare and i don't know if anyone at medicare is really are they minding the store i guess they are a little bit but that's that's the age-old argument whether you see the same you know accountability and and uh you know trying to keep costs down i don't know there's a gop presidential primary debate this week it's going to have it says here the smallest stage i guess that's true if you have fewer candidates you could have a bigger stage with fewer candidates. I think we just mean that it's the smallest number uh, of people. Cause Gavin if, Newsom coming? Gavin is uh is not gonna he's be gonna moderate. No, he's he's out letting everyone go back onto the streets. Uh you know, oh. no longer picking up any of the poop. Uh Florida Governor Ron DeSantis wow. will be there, former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley, uh entrepreneur uh the Vaik Ramaswamy and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. The debate in Alabama is going to be hosted by something called News Nation. I think you know what this is. I do. Sort of. I'm, I'm, Megyn Kelly apparently has a show on Sirius XM. Uh, also, and the Washington you Free know Beacon. News Nation. All I know is cu- 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 Cuomo.
5: is The cri- great Dan Abrams, Chris Cuomo.
4: Oh, oh, oh You've okay. You've seen this network. No, I haven't i have not I've, I've, mine is just locked yeah. on so glad cnbc that, so glad that you're home so glad that no, you i was going to say something else we know, we know, i was going to say something else but i'm we not going to no it's really not it's really not uh, no not after like the main guy left former president trump is once again skipping the debate instead appearing at a fox news a town hall today and holding a private fundraiser tomorrow he'll be on with Sean Hannity I'd just say Sean um, meantime North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum <laughs>
3: North,
4: North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum has suspended his campaign after uh, failing to gain enough support to qualify uh, for the debate stage some people actually liked him thought he had some good ideas was a decent. but this doesn't work you know in this day and age so good ideas yeah 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 of <laughs> uh, being reasonable and somewhat uh you know someone has 60 percent of the uh the votes i don't know what to make of that
5: talking about not knowing what to make of it uh expelled congressman george santos now selling videos on the cameo website actually i, I do kind of know what to make yeah of it. i do too <laughs> uh he's going to record a personalized message you know what the price tag is $200 a piece. I don't know if that's a deal or not. Uh, Pennsylvania Senator uh, John Fetterman posted a video message that he paid Santos for.
6: Hey, Bobby. Uh,
1: look, I don't think I need to tell you, but these people that want to make you get in
5: trouble and want to kick you out and make you run away, you make them put up or shut up. You stand your ground, sir. He offers advice to New Jersey Senator Menendez. Those guys need to start a company together. Faces bribery charges. Fetterman has been calling for Menendez to resign or be expelled.
3: Uh, Actually, the charges Presented
5: with no comment.
3: uh, The (laughs) the charges against Menendez are even more troubling by a long shot. Why is anyone else... Selling things to Egypt. Right. He was not
4: an... John Fetterman, Senator Fetterman, said he's not (laughs) not a U.S. senator. He's an Egyptian senator. Basically is what he said, and you know my son follows all this closely. He loves Fetterman now. I like go, Scotty, he's a Democrat.
3: Yeah, yeah. How did yeah. I
4: raise you? How, what, you know? But uh, like, likes a Pennsylvania governor too. Likes a Colorado governor.
3: What Fetterman has said on this is is something people should listen to. Yeah. I mean, it's four of the gold bars that they found there were reported stolen before. <laughs>
4: I, know. I mean, it's the. It's rich. The car. It's just, uh, you know. I, I'm a, I came from Cuba, so I had to hide the money in, in my—he so goes, You're, you were—I don't even think he did, was he? Maybe his parents did, or he's two years old. Tees will be next.
0: Up next on Squawk Pod, The Art of Happiness host Arthur Brooks, author, professor, and happiness expert navigating a polarized political climate.
2: When you actually see, you can look neurochemically at actually what's happened to people. It's actually lowered their ability to have communion with other people. So they spend more time in highly polarizing contexts.
0: Plus, his advice for university campuses roiling with protests.
2: Universities are really supposed to be centered on inquiry, not on advocacy. I understand that there's some advocacy involved, but inquiry is really the goal.
0: We'll be right back.
6: From their innovative practice facility
0: You're listening to Squawk
2: Pod. Up and Andrew Q.
5: Good morning, and welcome back to Squawk Box. Right here on CNBC, we're live at the Nasdaq Market Site in Times Square. Man, Ross Sorkin, along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan.
4: Budget Director Shalanda Young is sending a warning to Congress that time is running out to pass an emergency of funding packages for Ukraine, uh, with money set to dry up by the end of the year. We're going to talk about this, uh, the legislative logjam on Capitol Hill, uh, and and just the the overall. Environment we find ourselves in that for for a collect really a collective like psychoanalyst uh, uh, analysis session with Arthur Brooks, president emeritus of American Enterprise Institute, a Harvard University professor and columnist for the Atlantic. I don't think we've spoken to you since since the the world changed on October seventh to a great extent, and then we saw subsequent to that things that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. Uh, Arthur, or arthur and then you you can combine with that the the political backdrop we have here in in a 2024 election that just seems to to put people in a bad mood when you think about maybe the two candidates but the good news is people i mean life goes on and i see spend people spending money and looking forward to summer you know vacations next year and taking time off and I'm just wondering whether we say we're, we're just in a sour, horrible um, environment and, and then just move on? Or are we really affected by all? I, th- I think we're, we really are in, in a bad, bad way at this point.
2: Yeah, you know, happiness in the United States has been in decline since, I mean, very gradual decline for a couple of decades. Um, by the way, it's great to see you. It makes me happy to see the three of you. This is my favorite show. Thank you for having me today.
0: Oh, we well, um, nice. to see you, too.
2: It's a gradual decline in happiness, but it's really been punctuated by three pretty terrible storms that have, have been a downdraft in American happiness. The first was 2008-2009, which actually really wasn't the financial crisis. It was the advent of the mass entrance into into social media, where people started putting those apps on their phones, which was really hard for young adults, created a lot of loneliness. The second was the kind of the, the culture of contempt in American politics, where hatred was really being fomented by leaders who are dark triad personalities. And if you don't know what that is in my business as a social scientist, these are leaders who exhibit narcissism, Machiavellianism, and traits of psychopathy, which became much, much more prevalent in American politics, and to this day. And last but not least, of course, was the loneliness that came from the coronavirus lockdowns. And you know, on the tail of that, people just simply haven't come back in the same way. Um, I'd be a lot happier if I were in the studio with you right now, for example, but that's just one example. So those are the three things that have really hurt us.
4: To make you really happy, I guess I was supposed to read this. Your latest book is Build the Life You Want, co-authored. Uh, with Oprah Winfrey, I left that out. Uh, anyway, thanks for joining us. Yeah. The uh, I do not know he's not going. He's staying. No, I know. Thanks for joining us now. Yeah, yeah. I didn't read that at the beginning. Work. With yeah,
2: no, no, <laughs> I'm delighted. It's great. it's great. It's great. It's great to see all of you. It's and it's funny because you know what, what we find is that so many Americans in the you know in the in this terrible political tumult that we have. You added to that the fact that people became very isolated during the coronavirus epidemic and, and, and work has changed permanently. So people aren't coming back. They're kind of stewing in their juices. And when you actually see, you can look neurochemically at actually what's happened to people. It's actually lowered their ability to have communion with other people. So they spend more time in highly polarizing contexts, you know, watching you know social media or cable news programs in the evening that are very very politically uh very uh you know a lot of anger or contempt that are that are people are getting and people are substituting their their citizenship in their communities for you know watching political news shows as a result of that and that's really lowered our happiness a lot and we're being manipulated by leaders that have these dark triad personality characteristics
4: yeah That was pretty funny when you described that personality, and (laughs) I—I mean, I can't just say there's only one, uh, but it did describe one fairly uh, accurately. But maybe maybe his opponent too. I don't think it's a whole lot different in terms of the narcissism and the—it's just just sort of just a different brand. Oh yeah. Arthur, did you you studying all this? You still weren't a little bit shocked with the reaction to October seventh? That we're seeing on, on our college campuses, and, and probably uh, something going on right now somewhere. It was shocking. still, Joe. But, the overt, but the overt, the overt anti-Semitism. Really, I mean, I never thought I'd hear any of those terms again in my life.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, the thing, what really shocks me is that I'm not shocked anymore. You know, the truth is, in our current environment of activism, we're being, you know, all of this stuff is being fomented by people that are basically trying to conscript young people into a culture war. And that's what manipulative leaders really do. And most activism tends to be highly manipulative. And it's just another symptom of the things that we're talking about yeah, here. They're
4: almost this professional. A- some of them are professional uh, protesters that some of the ones oh, yeah. that are mixed in with the other. They just, that's all they want to do with their life is,
2: yeah. is protest. Yeah, you have to understand that activism has only one goal, which is more. You know, whatever it happens to be, more of it. And and universities are are, are really supposed to be centered on inquiry, not on advocacy. I understand that there's some advocacy involved, but inquiry is really the goal. And this is the big opportunity right now for university leaders as far as I'm concerned. You know, I'm not a university president, thank God. um, But, you know, I have to say that it's pretty, you know, I have been, I've led a big institution in the past. And when something bad like this happens, this is a, a huge opportunity to restate your goals. To double down on what the, what the purpose of the organization is, you, you don't look at this as a threat and try to just make it go away. On the contrary, state your principles, state your policies, talk about the penalties and sanctions that come from violating those policies. Don't be defensive at all. And then talk about the fact that universities and other like institutions they shouldn't be actually getting into political position making anyway. They should be right. inquiry types of, in, in, uh, so of there- institutions.
5: Can, yeah. I, can I can I, I don't know if I'm going to put you in a complicated place, but, you know, I've seen Bill Ackman has been out on, on uh, X or Twitter um, being quite critical of Harvard uh, where you yeah. work uh, and the approach that the president of the university has taken. Uh, some of the things that uh, he's seen on the campus, uh, videos that uh, he's now distributing of, of 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 protests and the like that are happening almost in the classrooms themselves. Yeah. And I'm just curious on a very personal basis what you think of all of that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we have a brand new president and and she's dedicated to actually solving this problem. And I think solving this problem requires that we have very non-defensive, very straight up positioning about the fact that you can't disrupt the learning environment. That's just not okay under any circumstances for any reason. Political activism doesn't it's that you don't get some special deal where political activism can trump the ability to actually teach a class. So we need sanctions, we need penalties, we need to state them, we need we to enforce go. them.
4: They yeah. say we gotta go, I, I was gonna say, I, I, I wish we could. someone could ride in on, on a horse, a historical figure, but there's so much tribalism that I don't have a, his, a historical figure that hasn't been canceled by either one side or the other. Cause I, I can't say JFK, cause one side hates him. I can't say Reagan, cause the other side hates him. I can't, I can't even say Abe Lincoln. But I don't know how we get saved from this social media morass uh, that we're yeah. in right now. And, but but then I think life goes on, and I think everybody's yeah, you know I I'm wondering whether sure. we're just stewing in our own juices, as you
2: say. But they say we got to go, Arthur. I wish we had more time. Uh, yeah, I'm grateful to be with all of you, and that's the key thing. Let's everybody stay grateful that we live in the greatest country in the history of the world. Right. And it's going to be okay.
4: Right. And you look at what's happening in the rest of the world. We are so lucky, and and I feel so bad for for you know you you, you read everyday things that, you know, just, I don't it makes me want to cry. Anyway, thank you. Thanks.
0: Still to come today, some happy news for the crypto community. A Bitcoin rally. The asset has hit 42,000 for the first time in well over a year. Crypto investor Anthony Pompliano, a.k.a. Pomp, on the new age worldview that's driving the assets rise and the returns he's expecting for the Bitcoin believers.
1: I think that America is going to be a big winner in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency race. We see companies being built here. And what we've watched is regulators have stepped in and they basically are slapping the wrist of anyone who is not operating within the American financial system.
0: Squawk Pod will be right back. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC with Joe Kernan, Andrew Ross-Sorkin, and Becky Quick. Here's Andrew.
5: One of the big themes on Wall Street this weekend, that is crypto optimism over the odds for future Bitcoin ETFs, pushing that token above $42,000 for the first time in a year and a half now. Things have pulled back just a little bit, a smidge there, $41,906 right now. uh, But we are still looking at a roughly 20% gain. That's just in the last month alone. Crypto investor Anthony Pompliano is here as the founder of Pomp Investments. And you are now a New York resident again. I am, wow. as of so, August. So no,
1: the, I thought Miami was supposed to be where it's at. It, it is. Ken Griffin, a bunch of other people moving, Jeff Bezos. Uh, I think that what you're going to find is uh, people want to live both uh, in a density of individuals, like in New York City, and then people also want to live uh, where they think capital is going to move. And so that's uh, a place like Miami. Uh,
5: we'll, we'll maybe we'll get back to that. But let's, let's talk crypto right now. And let's talk Bitcoin specifically. $42,000, what do you ascribe the move to?
1: Yeah, Uh, Bitcoin is a free market asset and I think one of the things people forget in finance is that markets are forward looking. And so what we're seeing here is people are allocating to an asset that they believe is going to go up in the future, obviously. Uh, Things that will drive that are the Bitcoin ETF. but as people are allocating to this, 70% of the circulating supply of Bitcoin has not moved in a year. The reason why that's important is this is an $800 billion asset that has gone up 150% over the last 12 months. So when an asset goes up 150%, you would expect people to sell into the strength, kind of take profits. That's not happening. And so Bitcoiners are not selling that Bitcoin. They're not going to sell it to Wall Street. And so Wall Street's going to have to continue to bid up the price I mean, in it's order actually to it. that
5: share issue. So the 70%, that has not changed, not just this past year. But by the way, that has not changed, I don't think for many, many years.
1: It's always been very high. 70% is the all-time high, so it's been creeping up, which has this reflexive kind of feedback loop, right? So if more people won't sell and price goes up, then price continues to go up even more rapidly. Okay, the other
5: 30% that is moving, yes. do you think that that, I mean, I don't know if you can look through some of the numbers, is that, are those new buyers? Are those the old buyers who owned the original 70% saying, I want more? What is that?
1: So it's interesting when you look at the data. It's a little bit of everything, right? There's definitely more accumulation happening. So people who already had Bitcoin are continuing to buy more Bitcoin. Uh, An interesting statistic is if you dollar cost average every single day with $10 from January 1st until now, you're up 100%. So with all the boom, the bust, everything in between, uh, a Bitcoin analyst, Dylan LeClaire pointed out, you're up 100%. So just dollar cost averaging alone gave you a great return. Now, there's also this net new wave of capital coming in. So you have the institutions, but also you have a bunch of people sitting on the sidelines saying, well, if BlackRock wants Bitcoin, maybe I should buy some as well. And so that net new capital is definitely starting to come in, but I don't right. think we're actually going to see it until uh, the, the real, gun goes no, off. Okay, in but ETFs. the
5: real move, I think, seemed to happen as a function of this idea that the Federal Reserve, the new wisdom, whether it's conventional or otherwise, uh, or right even, is that they're going to ultimately have to turn things around and lower interest rates sometime in 2024. Is that what you ascribe? I mean, there was the ETF piece, and everyone said, oh, over here, it's the ETF piece. Now everyone says, oh, no, it's actually this.
1: Markets are forward-looking, and if you go back to 2021, Bitcoin started to fall as soon as the Fed started talking about, we are going to cut rates. And so people were like, oh, wait a second, inflation is high in the summer of 2022. Why is Bitcoin falling? It's supposed to be this inflation hedge asset. But it was because Bitcoin and the holders right. saw what was going to happen. Same thing's happening right now. Bill Ackman's right. betting that interest rates are going to get cut in Q1. The market's pricing right. at 100% uh, you know likelihood of an interest rate cut in Q2. Bitcoiners right now and people who want Bitcoin say it's going to happen even earlier. What is
5: the share right now um, internationally of ownership of Bitcoin? Meaning, is it predominantly in the United States? Is it predominantly in China? If you were to make a pie chart of the ownership on
1: a, a, a globe, what would that look like? So uh, let's separate Bitcoin and hash rate. Hash rate, about 35% or so, is in the United States. Uh, When China banned mining, the United States was the big winner there. Uh, Ownership's a little bit harder because there's so many wallets that we don't know exactly geographically where they are. Uh, But you can see capital flows. The United States uh, and Asia seem to really be driving a lot of the capital flows right now. Uh, The European region is actually a little bit behind and not allocating nearly as much. And so I think that America is going to be a big winner in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency race. Uh, We see companies being built here. Coinbase being a fantastic example of 330% over the last uh, or yeah, year to date. And that. what we've watched is regulators have stepped in and they basically are slapping the wrist of anyone who is not operating within the American oh. financial system.
4: Michael Saylor, you know, has had, uh, I guess down at 17,000, there were people that thought that he was going to get like a margin call or something. He's back now. I don't know how much he bought something like how much? He's got
1: 174,000 Bitcoin. He's up $2 billion
4: on it. He made some weird comment the other day, and that was about what percentage of global financial system, in his view, Bitcoin will represent at some point. And then he did some simple math and came out with some... Crazy number. What, what, what was it? I saw that. There's all kinds of numbers that fly around. But right it was up. like five to 10 million per coin or something was, was what he came up with. If
1: Bitcoin just simply matches gold, it'd be $500,000. If it's. 500000 if it, 500, it matches Just gold. matches gold at uh, 20, um, or I'm sorry, $10 trillion. Now, if you continue to look at, uh, you know, other assets it could eat into, if you have a dollar today and you want to store wealth, you historically could have bought gold. You could have bought, uh, you know, estate. fine art. You could have yeah. bought all kinds, of real estate, whatever. Hard, yeah, hard ass. Young people are saying to themselves, I want to buy the hardest asset I can find, which tends to be Bitcoin, and it's liquid, and it is the best performing asset over the last ten years. But
5: it's not. A, but the, the the sailor question is how much of it becomes part of the quote unquote financial system, and does it? it is he suggesting that there has to be a payments element or uh, an actual he, transaction element? But because he was saying back, gold.
4: You weren't saying a payment. If it became part of the payment system, it could be much bigger. Well, than but the it also
5: system. if it became part. Of, and this goes back to. Can it really be part of the payment system and have actual and continue to increase? Because as we've, we've discussed a million yeah. times, if it keeps Why increasing, you, so, nobody's ever going to use it, it to, to buy pizza. You,
4: except there's, there's that company we had on that uses just little, tiny little pieces here's of what, Bitcoin say. Whenever to, to do it. To it someone, and it doesn't matter the, 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 the little minuscule
1: variations on a daily basis. Whenever it, I talk to someone in private and they ask me about Bitcoin, I tell them it's very simple. If you think that the Federal Reserve and other central banks are going to have to print capital uh, or print money in order right. to finance all of this debt, then you're going to want to be in something other than dollars. So You've got to be Andrew on board. You're still not on return. board. You, you, I have been You must be curious are you more skeptical? from the beginning.
4: But at 25000 you were, you, <laughs> you were proudly, really I was proudly early on
1: my career. There, there was right. a number you once said that if it hit, that yeah. you would think about buying it for no, your no, kids. $5,000. But at
4: twenty-five, you were really saying this is way too now it's 42 you've got to eventually what throw the, in the what ta- is the, what, is what, what number is where you'll say i'm um, i believe in it a hundred well i just think it's a very because it's such a abstract
5: concept that it's like but it's not a non-existent thing even though i know it's a thing for some people it's, I think but a lot of people look at it. Mm, huh. Maybe. I know it's yes. a very philosophical situation. No, no, but situation. Situation. There's
4: like, aren't there like six? You, you can describe why gold is worse. I mean, it's not because it's pretty, yeah. and it's not because it's used in jewelry, it's because it's immutable it's cross cultural there's only so much around and, and there, these are the characteristics of money since the Given beginning that, of time not everybody
3: has gold in their, in right. their portfolio right
4: correct No. Well, right. you right. go back I'm, to the store of value this is the yeah. it's th- like, if we, you understand the distributed ledger nature yeah. of bitcoin you can see that it, it can represent barter. For something here's, here's, yeah. one of the, here's
1: one of the crazy parts about this: is a lot of people who question Bitcoin's uh, efficacy or, or legitimacy, they're using uh, a worldview that is dominant in traditional finance. Things like right. intrinsic value, it things like efficient market hypothesis, etc. Yeah, it's a very what, uh, what we're watching, though. God is, bless him, Charlie Munger view of the world. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and by the way, you, you've been right it. for 50 years having that worldview. I think that Bitcoiners are coming to the market and they're saying, "Wait a second, there's a different view of the world." Something like intrinsic value. If you and I both look at an asset and I tell you the intrinsic value is X. You say it's Y. Obviously, there's no intrinsic value. It's just what our opinion is, right? Same thing with efficient market hypothesis. And I think what Bitcoin's really doing is it's showing there's this new view of the world. So far, it's been right. And if it continues to be right, there will be trillions of dollars that flow into the asset.
5: Anthony Poppliano, a true New Yorker, a true New Yorker. Thank you, guys. Thank you
0: that's the podcast for today thank you for tuning in as always squawk box is hosted by joe kernan becky quick and andrew ross sorkin weekday mornings on cnbc starting at six eastern they go for three hours live but you can catch the highlights of that broadcast right here on squawk pod just follow us wherever you're listening now we'll meet you back here tomorrow we are clear thanks guys